Englishman in San Diego. At the International Comics Expo, Margate 2018. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Emma Price, uh, I'm a multidisciplinary graphic designer and illustrator uh, and I'm going to talk about the often hidden process of designing comics uh, from the logo right through to the barcodes on the back cover, the credits page, the back matter, all the stuff that isn't the story basically. I set up my own company called Tiny Master back in 2012. Uh, and I work across print and digital formats uh, with some of the world's biggest film studios, digital agencies uh, and publishers. I do a lot of work that involves kind of engaging audiences in meaningful ways, uh, exploring how images and information connect and change how people think and feel. That before I went freelance, um, I worked at the BBC on Doctor Who franchise, designing trading cards, for, for the Doctor Who brands, a bit like Top Trumps, and kind of got to do um, a fun range of magazines, um, shiny cards, and I think that was a bit of a dream come true. Uh, and they also let me design and draw a whole bunch of uh, Doctor Who illustrations. So there were these hypothetical kind of slam downs uh, between the monsters and, uh, and the, the Doctors, the other characters. Um, surprising, I'm pretty surprised with what they uh, let me get away with sometimes, but they, uh, they were really good fun. Um, so since then, um, I've moved on to more digital kind of stuff, and I work a lot with marketing for films and TV and stuff. This was from um, this was kind of a, a motion poster app where you could go in a, uh, to a booth, a green screen booth in San Diego Comic Con for the uh, TV show Heroes, uh, and you could kind of get photographed in front of a green screen, um, and then come out and basically be put in front of fireballs. It was great. Uh, can actually do that, but I won't do it right now. Um, but yeah, hundreds of people went through this process, including the cast members, which was pretty awesome. And my role is to do, you know, I, I sort of came up with the concept, the original concept, put all the background elements together, the, and then, you know, motion graphics guy took over, um, and eventually you kind of, you end up with the ability to kind of, I designed a website that you, you download these things from and share them. Um, do a lot of that kind of stuff. And I also design um, a lot of stuff for Disney. So a little social media content stuff that goes out. So a little fun little picture. This is a bunch of stuff we did for Zootropolis or Zootopia, whether in, a, in the States. Lots of little snippets, like things that you wouldn't necessarily notice that someone has designed these elements. Like you come in the middle one in the top, created the background from scratch to kind of fit in with this world. You think it's a photo image. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's someone like me has to come in and put all this stuff together. Gradually moved on more to kind of more video content, so stuff for Coco and Moana, um, doing more motion graphics that, you know, everything has moved on from static to, to, to video content now. Everyone wants these little fun little snippets. Um, so that, again, just sees another aspect to the designer's kind of role that they have to play in these, in these things. Um, you know, we do a lot of really fun, very silly things with uh, for Thor Ragnarok, for instance. Um, you know, getting Korg involved. Um, but that's, of course, not forgetting the all-important aspect of comic design. These are some of the uh, comic titles I've worked on. Um, they are; these ones are all creator-owned for Image Comics. Uh, so Angelic and Cry Havoc. Um, 
worked with uh, my husband, who's the writer, Sai, he's very kindly come to watch me. Um, but um, uh, that's all based on single issues first. I think I heard in the talk before talking about you know the, the role of the single issue and the volume, the trade collection. Um, so those two, you know, they, they have those six six issues first, and then you have to have the, the, the collected book at the end. Whereas Savage Town um, was purely straight to um, the, the collected book. And there are similar processes for both um, both aspects, you know, you're doing these singles and then doing the book. Um, but yeah, I can understand why people don't really understand what people do, designers do in comics. You know, why is it important? What makes good comic design? And this isn't character design, it's not world design, that's pretty much up to the writer and the artist to create. It's nothing to do really with the story itself. And just so you know, I'm not really going to talk about the process that Marvel and DC, the big guys, do because I've never worked, you know, I, other than working with Vertigo, I've never really worked on one of their titles from scratch because so I can't really say what they do and then what their process is. So this is very much a kind of uh, personal thing to me. So where does it all start? Where does the design aspect come into this? Logo. This is the icon that everyone will hopefully use to identify the book with. And it's arguably the most important aspect of the design. It's got, a, it's got to work with the art, for a start. It's got to be legible from a distance, so I don't know, you know if these are particularly good examples, but I chose them because for me they are. They, 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 they kind of epitomise that ability, but none, they're not, they don't do the same thing. They don't, you know, You've got one that sort of sits in its own space, one that sits over, one that interacts with the art, but they all do that thing where they, they make it clear what, they, what the logo is, and it's, it's easy to read and understand from a distance, whether that's on the shelf or whether it's social media or, you know, um, on, yeah, on your phone, you're scrolling past. And it's got to stand out from everything else. Each one of these, uh, these logos does something different. To me, some of the most interesting design at the moment in comics is coming out of the smaller publishers like Boom Studios and Image Comics and Bolt Comics, all of the smaller, smaller places. But I think that's partly to do with the fact that they're not bound by the legal constraints and the formal constraints that a lot of the big companies are. You know, people like DC and Marvel, they're kind of, they, they've got all these film titles and they have all these legal restrictions that mean that you have to have a brand guideline, it's all very formal, they can't really experiment in the same way. So for me, working on a lot of these creator-owned titles has set, meant that I can work with directly with the creative team who own these, these brands to come up with something a little bit more, well hopefully, a little bit more unique. Um, one of the most important things when, when uh, creating a logo is bearing in mind the audience. So all of these bits, all of these uh, titles I've worked on, they're all different, different, very different audiences. So Angelic is a kind of all ages group. It you know, really aims right from, from, as we like to say, from 8 to 80. You know? So it's got to appeal to a really broad range of people. But it's also got to be legible to younger readers. It's got to be easy and clear to understand. Cry Havoc, on the other hand, and Motherland, Savage Land, they're all for mature audiences. So they're a very different audience, and you can, I think, be a little bit more experimental with them. You've got to create something that's instantly recognisable when you're creating a logo for a book. 
It's got to be unique, it's got to stand out from everything else because let's face it, there is a lot of stuff out there. And it's got to work with the art to sell the book. But it's also kind of got to work without the art. You've got to be able to recognise what the book is without the art there to carry it. So it's got to do a lot. It does a lot of heavy lifting, the logo on its own. And that leads us on to the next aspect of design, which is the cover. So a comic can't exist without the story, the art, and the logo alone. It's a whole package. Unless that is, you know, someone that just gets all your comics online, uh, or downloads them illegally, I'm not judging. Um, but yeah, then, then, then it probably is just the story. But yes, if you're going to be traditional, buy an object that you have to read and hold. It's going to have everything. It's going to have the cover and the, the interior pages and everything, or the extra bit at the back. And the first thing that people see when they look at the, uh, a comic, is the cover, of course. And there's a lot of information on that cover. So a designer has to come in and, and, and put all that information together on the front in a way that is really easy to understand and it's not overwhelming. So working on Angelic, as an example, this is a, a single issue, this is the first issue. We knew that we were aiming at this all ages thing, um, all ages audience. There was so much information to get across. You know, you don't you take for granted that you see the logo, you see the art, but you've also got to put the names of the creators up there. You've got to have the, the issue number so people can see, like, oh, where is this? Oh, it's issue one and uh, one of six, fine. Uh, the price, the publisher logo, so they can recognise that. On the back, you've got quotes, you've got the barcode, the blurb, age range, like, mind-blowing amount of stuff that you don't want people to get bogged down in. It has to be clear and easy to read. It has to be... Invisible, in a way, I guess, you know. So in comic design, arguably good design is completely invisible. It's something that you don't notice. But then on the other hand, it does give you the, uh, the chance to do something a bit more experimental, particularly in these smaller creator-owned teams. So these are some of the variant covers that we designed for um, Cry Havoc um, that went alongside the, the main single issues. We wanted to get a whole bunch of different artists involved um, on these variant issues. And the difficulty with that is that you could end up with a whole range of completely different art styles that no one recognises the comic. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what this is. Um, you know, it's completely different from the last one. Could it, is it from the same, same aspect? Who knows? So the way that we tried to counteract that was to come up with this idea of the big numbers. So right through from one to six, you know, we had these huge numbers that went on, um, and I designed that up and gave the template over to the, um, to the to each artist that we had, and we said, right, okay, each issue is about a single character, and their dual nature, like the, the, these characters in this comic, all have a beast nature and a human nature, kind of something from mythology. And each artist used that number in a way that um, allowed them to explore both aspects on the, a single cover. Um, so you still, you had this whole a range of, you know, fantastic creators all coming and being part of the same thing, but it, rather than looking separate and disparate, it all looked consistent, it's quite clear, even though the logo and the branding is really small, um, it's clear that this is all part of the same series. And it was a really great opportunity to try and do something a little bit different, because I don't think, you know, Frankly, I don't think many many comics do this kind of thing. I think it, I think it's quite different from a lot of stuff that's out there. 
But then again, cover, covers for comics really are the only, only the, like the outer wrap to the whole thing. <coughs> so you've got the uh, inside to think about as well when you're designing. It's not just, you know, oh, okay, think about the stuff in the cover, you know, done, fine, story, everything else. You've also got things like the credits page, which is, let's face it, the most boring page in the entire comic. You've got to get all this information up front about who's created it, what they've done on the comic, why they've done it, copyright stuff like that, all the legal nonsense. Um, but it's the first thing that someone sees when they open up a book. And you don't want it to immediately drag them out of a comic that they're just about to enjoy because it just looks like a splurge of information. You want it to still feel like, you know, they've come to this beautiful cover, they've opened it up, and then it's seamless into the art. You don't want them to immediately be dragged out and um, find that they just, they, they're immediately jarred by this raft of information. So with uh, Angelic, what we tried to do was um, find a visual consistency that worked with like, the cover, the, the elements on the cover. We had this, there's this one character in Angelic that's called the phase cat, that has uh, all these hexagon elements that kind of phase in and out. Um, and we use that, or I use that um, element throughout the comic as a motif to kind of make the whole thing feel like part of a package. And we had in uh, for later issues, you had a little, a little bit of uh, catch-up text, some more images that you might recognise from previous uh, issues, just to make you feel like you were still in that world as soon as you opened the page and transitioned straight into the story. It's a little bit different when it comes to the books because there tends to be quite a little more information up front than just a single single page. But at the same time, designing Savage Town, which was the, the complete book, um, we still, you know, right from the inside of the of the book, you have um, a, a, a pattern that's kind of representative of the world. It ref, you know references the front cover, and you have, and we took um, some concept art and added that to the inside pages. So you again, you still feel even when you're presented with this really dry information, you still feel like you're in that world and kind of getting ready to experience the story. And then once you've done that, you've read through, you've read through this enti entire book, entire story, sometimes you have all the bonus stuff at the end. So again, you don't want people to finish reading the story and then suddenly feel like, oh, there's a whole lot of information at the back and I feel like I'm not really part of the story anymore. So you have to make it feel like it's still part of the same thing. And that once you finish reading, you can still be in that world and, and still get, get something out of it. And that's where the back matter comes in. This could be things like notes from the author, or letters pages, concept sketches, you know, little adverts, competitions. So for Cry Havoc, we tried something different with um, the concept sketches. Um, this was one of the earlier issues, and this was one of the main characters, Lou. And as I mentioned with the variant covers, these characters all have a dual nature. So we'll try to do something a little bit more interesting with you know, literally flipping the characters from their other, um, their other aspects. Um, just, you know, a different way of presenting this medium that all the, you know, the artist works incredibly hard creating all these characters and we present that information in a really fun, interesting way. These are all the concept sketches from the artist Ryan Kelly. He did a beautiful, beautiful job on this. On this book.
other, other pages that worked on, so notes from the author, everything that everything had to feel like it's all part of the same package. Even on um, with Angelic, we tried something a little bit different. We tried because it's an all ages book. Um, really wanted to kind of push it out and make it a little keep the keep the younger readers kind of interested right through to the end. So we had this the idea of including like Doctor Dots. Um, and then had initiatives to get people to do their own artwork based on it, and we show the submissions, um, try to get make it feel like more of a, um, a community kind of pages in the, in, in the back of the book. A little bit more from the, uh, the artist Castle Wingard, he again, he just, everything, all of this information we wanted to put across, and I have to come in and make it feel like it's seamless and connected to the interiors. It, have to, it has to feel like it's world building. Each of these pages needs a designer to make it feel like a, a complete package, and it enhances the world of the story and gets more back to the reader, I think. But how, how do I create this stuff? You know, where does it all start? So I'm going to go into uh, the process of the actual items a little bit more, like the logo creation and, and the book pages, just to give you a little bit of an insight on how I personally do this. And again, this is not really necessarily how anyone else does it, but this is relevant to me and how I my, my process. So just to recap on the logo, that's things like it must be legible, it's got to work with the art, it's got to represent the story without the art, it's got to be unique, and it's got to suit the audience. Is it sci-fi? Is it horror? Is it set in the Wild West? So the rest of my talk is going to just go through the processes, and I'm going to use um, the comments Angelic uh, and Motherlands, which is from Vertigo, um, as examples. So I usually, usually start with sketches. First of all, I talk to the creators. Um, in this case, on Angelic, it was, it was Casper Wingard and Simon Spurrier. I read the pitch, I go out and I research the story, see if I can think of anything, and all the time sketching, sketching, trying to, trying to work through the ideas and get, get a whole range of stuff out on paper, um, just to kind of feel out the, um, how it might work. A lot of the time I'll, just, you know, I'll draw it as if it's on the, on the cover, um, to try and see how it might look eventually, um, and how it's going to how it's going to work with the artwork. Sometimes you do know what the artist's going to do, sometimes you have no idea. Uh, and it's still got to be seamless. So Angelic is an all-ages sci-fi um, about a future dystopia where humans are gone, uh, and genetically enhanced uh, and cyber-enhanced animals have been left behind. Um, and it focuses on the main character, Cora, who is a, a little wee wind monkey um, that's coming of age. and. When they, the monkeys come of age in this, in this story, the, the female monkeys have their wings clipped and they can't fly. So this is all about her journey and she doesn't want to lose her wings. Um, so we really wanted something design-wise and logo-wise that was going to reflect the childlike innocence of the monks. On the other hand, working on Motherlands, that was a completely different story. You know, it's, it's mature content, it's still sci-fi, but... Um, it's, it's about a multiverse where bounty hunters are the ultimate like, celebrities. Um, they hop between, between universes um, and they encounter humans that have evolved entirely differently. Like Maybe they have an extra arm, who knows why? Um, but they do. Uh, and it follows one woman called Tab who she shuns the glory of a bounty hunter 
but she ends up getting, you know, having to uh, go travelling, go on the ultimate bounty hunt with her mother, of all people, who is a bitter, faded star, uh, and frankly, very, very grumpy. Uh, but rather than focus on anything kind of overtly sci-fi in this, we wanted to go back to a kind of 50s and 60s retro nostalgia vibe. Didn't want anything that looked glittery in sci-fi because this multiverse, everything is kind of a little bit faded and a little bit sad, and 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 there is this all this unrest throughout throughout the um, the multiverse. So I was trying to look into drawing like retro TV logo vibes, network TV. There's the, uh, the kind of the boomerang of the atomic age in the 60s. But after that, the next step, after the sketching step, is to start developing the logo. So just to jump back to Angelic, with this, uh, with this um, thing, I went straight to, we wanted to go for this childlike aspect. So I got out my paints, I started painting the letters over and over and over to try and get like that, that childlike innocence as if it's been painted by the finger of a little winged monkey. I'm trying to get that feeling like, you can see with the G and the E's, like the, the movement, the, the reflection of the G in the circle and the E, to kind of, kind of get that flow and feel kind of ritualistic. The A also was um, something that Casper, the artist, he, uh, he designed as a, a marking for Cora. So I wanted to incorporate that into the logo itself. So it's something, again, that is represented all the way through the comic. So the next stage was I took a lot of those, um, all those letters that I painted out, I scanned them in, I chose the, the best ones, the, the ones I felt looked the best, flowed the best, Piece them all together and eventually took them through to Illustrator, which is, uh, makes, means that I can put it into a vector, which means I can make it bigger or smaller, and it doesn't lose, or get, you know, lose any quality um, as a result. And I was able to kind of pick and choose, like you can see the painted version at the top, in comparison to the, the final digital version at the bottom, really subtle differences like the Gs, all these little tweaks and things, just to get it so that it's, you know, it's really legible, of different sizes, and it's going to work across all the different formats that we're going to print in. The next stage was to um, start adding colour and think about how it's going to sit on the cover. Work with Casper's art, which is this, this beautiful, beautiful colour palette. So we made a logo that was going to change from issue to issue, depending on the colours that he used in his artwork. And we decided to keep the placement on the cover consistent. So again, from issue to issue, you have this like, consistency. You know exactly where you are in, the, uh, in, in each issue. With Motherlands, it was quite a different process because we didn't really know who the, co the, the cover artist was going to be. Um, so I started having to, rather than sketching out and sketching out lots and working on the, the letters first, I put all the, um, the early sketches onto... Um, more like cover mocks to can we kind of work together to figure out different concepts um, of how we could do it. Well, you know, the second one was going to go all over the words. You know, we're going to go big words and try and do something. This was this was quite rare for you know one of the big two companies to go. Okay, we can do something a little bit more interesting. Um, in the end, we settled on the first uh, the logo from the first option, which is this kind of uh, I guess yeah nostalgic TV. Uh, logo, um, it kind of from those really naff TV networks that always have like new slash 
um, and uh, kind of feels really, really aged and, and uh, kind of faded. Um, and you have that that globe aspect that I think a lot of a lot of TV networks use at the time, just the wireframe globes. But this time there are there are multiple, which kind of represents the multiverses that, that are inside the comic. Um, that all the, the, the bounty hunters hop between the, the multiverses. And the next stage, we took that and realized that a lot of the letters weren't really visible. It wasn't as legible at a smaller size, so I had to take that straight into Illustrator, and because it's a lot more blocky, there's not really any sketching, it's very, you know, it's working with individual shapes to try and get them more visible. Just simple things that you think like, oh, you know, that R works, it's fine. Fine, but uh, you know, a simple time like the T might just disappear and start looking like an I at a smaller, smaller size. So I tweaked and tweaked and tweaked, um, and eventually we settled on uh, the one at the top there. Added a few little glitching moments and, and uh, made it feel like uh, there was a misalignment issue. And then when we got eventually, we um, we worked out who the artist was. It was going to be a, a guy called Eric Connect, who's amazing. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff, and again, he's got this kind of muted colours. Um, so we have this weird, like glitching over the top of it, as if you can't quite tune in to watch these bounty hunters on their journeys, and it all mixed up with a big, you know, tagline. So it all feels like this slightly nostalgic, um, weird, glitchy um, fuzziness, which I quite like. But yeah, that leads us on to the next aspect, which is the covers. Again, they've got to be legible. It's got to work with the art. So whether you've got the art there to begin with or not, you know, you have to you have to know how it's going to work. And with Angelic, as I, as I mentioned before, we had these different colours that each logo took some of the colours from the artwork, so to make sure that it all felt like a like one part of a whole. And each uh, each cover used the different hexagons that I was talking about using all throughout the interiors to make it feel like a consistent series. And uh, if you put them all together, this is my tiny little thing, if you put them all together, all the hexagons match up. I don't know if Saeva knows that, but <laughs> I'm very anal about that. Um, but yeah, it looks beautiful when you put them all together. They just have this wonderful sort of mix of pastel colors. And it's clear that these are all part of the same series. With Motherlands, it was almost as if these are still frames in a, a kind of um, like a, 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 yeah, nostalgic TV uh, cop movie or something, you know, uh, as if they've been freeze-framed on a, on, a, on a video player that doesn't quite work. Um, and each, each cover ended up with these different, like the, the, the different glitching, the different um, um, big flat newsflash stuff like Meet His Murder, Family that stays together, slays together, you know, all of these different taglines. And again, it's not something you often see on a, on a comic cover, but it's clear looking at them all together that they are part of a series. With Cry Havoc, that was, that was really fun to have a whole different section. So it was there, we had lots of variants as well. So we had the, the six over on the left of the, foot of the main covers, and the six on the right of the variant covers that I was talking about earlier. And although you've got the, the you know, you've clearly got the the main covers that all have the similar sort of branding and everything is all kind of connected together, it's still clear that the, the second set, the variant set, is connected because you have the same characters. You've got, you know, bottom left of each each set, issue four, 
you've got the, the, the crow um, figure that, so it's clear that these are still part of the same thing, even though you, they're not necessarily like have the same branding all over it. It's slightly different when it comes to the, um, the volumes, the trades that collect all of these issues, because you've done those six, six issues or eight issues or four issues, however many for the singles, you've suddenly got a whole lot of information to put on this cover. And you've got to let people know that, yeah, this is a, this is a collected version. This is, the, this is the, still the same comic that had those six issues. But how do you make it visually consistent? So with Cray Havoc, I took the, um, some artwork from the first issues from the main cover. So you've got the, the artwork from, the, from Ryan Kelly, which is the top left. And then the artwork from issue one of um, the variants and merged them together so that it was clear that, again, this is all part of the same world, it's part of the same universe, it all exists together, and you're going to get the, you know, that, that, that cry-havoc experience that you, that you were looking for. So other design aspects that go on this, because a lot of information, you need to get a lot of information over to people when they're looking at these covers. And on a volume, you've got the spine design so that everything has to look lovely when it's on the shelf so that you know exactly what you're looking at and who created it and all the image logos and all the, you know, the extra stuff that shouldn't be difficult to see at a glance. And other aspects of the design, so on the back you've got the, the fist with the, the little wings, that's another aspect of the design that goes in and it was just a logo that, that was for the in-hand in military that's in-world and it appears throughout inside the comic but it's used as little motifs from um, inside and on the outside, so again, you just feel like it's all part of one big package. Similar with uh, with Savage Town, this was very different because we didn't have the single issues. I didn't have, I hadn't gone through that process six times before to create an identity, to create a, a world. We had to jump straight in and create the cover from scratch. So I worked very, very closely with um, the artist Philip Barrett and the colorist Geordie Belair, who. Um, created this image. Um, by this point, we had already gone through you know, loads of rounds, creating the logo. This comic is all about um, a, a gang in Limerick uh, in sort of the early 2000s. It's based on a, it's kind of based on a true story, but it's quite violent. And we wanted the logo to kind of reflect that, that savagery. And, when you bear in mind that savage in, in Irish is, uh, or in, in, in Ireland is also a word for like, oh, that's great, that's, that's savage. It, it has this wonderful kind of dual nature. It's like um, not just the, the kind of the, the, the um, violence of it, but the, the excitement behind it as well. We wanted to get that across in a kind of visual way. And the exciting thing about this for me as a, a designer as well is that the final thing, I can't, haven't got it with me, but it's, a, it's got a spot gloss, which means it, it's got shiny bits on the front, so that when you, when you put it in the light, it's shiny, which is every designer's dream. We're doing a similar thing uh, with Angelic, um, which is actually, this is, this is kind of a bit of a preview because it's not out till May. Bye, bye, the gummy, bye, the gummy. Um, yeah, it's not out till May, so um, this has only very recently gone to print. Um, and I'm really excited to see how it's going to look, the final thing. Uh, again, it's got a kind of uh, spot gloss. So for me, I have to set up this little layer that everything that's black is going to be shiny, basically. It's going to be shiny and glossy and lovely. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, it'll work together. So yeah, just uh, in summary, <coughs> designing comics is kind of necessary to bring the whole thing 
as a package together. With comics, it's you know like with video games and TV and, and film, it's a truly collaborative medium. You know, from story to art, colours, letters, editors, not forgetting just the printers and the distributors, and then the final comic shop that you buy this thing in. Everything, everyone has done all this to make this final object that you hold, and each part is essential to that final outcome. So I think, personally, that a well-designed book should be recognisable, unique, consistent, familiar. It's got to be quick and easy to see all the information that you need to see, but it has to be done almost invisibly. It's got to work with the art to be immediately understandable and be clear exactly what the book is about. <coughs> Design is about selling the whole package so that you end up enjoying something that is whole and complete. But yeah, that's me. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Emma Price, known as uh, Tiny Master. You can find me on various social media channels uh, and do ask some questions. I have a question. Question! Hi there. Um, it's about a recent thing that's been uh, introduced by DC, and I think Marvel are doing a similar thing with theirs as well. They're returning to a, a house style of cover design, putting the logo in the top left-hand corner, the, the, the logo box they're returning to. Um, and they're almost doing kind of like cover design, not necessarily for the book, but for the company, as it were. Yes. Yeah. Could you talk about that? I mean, I don't personally, because I haven't really done much in-house, I haven't, I haven't really done any in-house stuff with um, Marvel and DC. It's very difficult for me to talk about their processes because I don't know. All I can and say is that, you know, when you see, like, when they, they launch the, you know, the various series. It's obviously a design for it, but when you put it on yeah. the rack, it's to be to the left-hand side, so it's all... Exactly. And then it has to work with everything else that goes yeah. on it, like the individual logos and then the subtitles and everything else that comes in. And, I would argue that sometimes it's detrimental to the, the, the overall vibe, but at the same time it is clear that you're buying something that, you know, if you're buying a whole relaunch of a new, new series and you're looking for like the number ones of the whole series or whatever, then it's clear, it's immediately clear exactly what you're buying and like, oh this is part of that, like the new 52, you know, that was everywhere. Um, it was clear that you're kind of, you're buying into that, that entire series. Um, but it is difficult because sometimes I think that it feels like there are so many different people involved and different people, like does one designer might have been involved and then another one's come along and maybe they haven't worked together. So personally I find them a little bit overwhelming sometimes, particularly when like, if they've got a cover artist come in that hasn't necessarily even seen how that final layout's gonna be. You end up with bits that are kind of covered over, which I think is a real shame. I, I feel like if there was only a little bit more time given to each of these things, it would feel a bit more, a little bit more clear, maybe. Um, but that's just my personal thing, you know, they can do what they want. <laughs> okay, and one other thing that I wanted to um, ask as well. You've shown, obviously, uh, your work, which is fantastic. Um, is there any design work that you've seen of other people's that you'd like to? Yes, absolutely. I, I very vaguely, um, I don't know if I can skip through this very quickly, but um, really early on I, 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 I sort of mentioned about um, the guys that are working at Boom and, there we go, okay. Boom and... Um, it's Tom Malone's thing. Just, I, I'm a, I love that man. So yeah, he's, he's a good friend and um, he, I find him a great inspiration as well. So Tom does uh, a lot of the image stuff um, and his work 
always kind of pushes, um, in my opinion, pushes what it is to be a comic cover. And I think that comes as a result of him being involved in a lot of stuff outside of comics. So he comes in from a very different, like he does a lot of branding and, you know, he, he brings that up, that non-comic um, kind of uh, range of skills into comics and makes something different. And also the creative teams that he worked with, works with trust him so much to let him do something a little bit interesting um, that I think, you, again, you just don't really, you don't get that when you're working with the, the major major companies. Because even Tom's stuff, when he's worked on, he does do stuff for DC and, and, and Vertigo in particular, even then it's kind of, it's, it's clear that that's not the same as the stuff that he does with Valiant, for example. He does whole beautiful design covers that don't have characters on, which is, you know, practically unheard of in, 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 in comics and does, it really pushes it out. And even uh, Jared K. Fletcher, who does uh, Paper Girls in the Middle, you know, he does this beautiful stuff for um, Marvel and DC. But I think Paper Girls is one of his strongest design aspects because he's finally been given the ability to design a book, you know, cover to cover. He has complete control. And I think that's clear. But then Boom, Boom really are doing a lot of that as well. They're letting their designers do something, I think, a little bit more interesting. They're kind of, I think because they, unlike, DC and Marvel, they don't work with huge cross-title platforms, they don't have that worry. They want each of their books to feel individual again, so they allow them to kind of be really different. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there, there is a lot of really good stuff out there, and if, if, if I had longer in the talk, I would definitely go and cover more people's stuff, because there is some really beautiful stuff out there. I mean, I haven't even covered, I haven't even got anywhere near Fantagraphics and all the beautiful stuff, but they're, 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 they're very much books and, you know, beautiful objects, which not quite what, you know, I'm dealing with in this, but, yeah. Anybody, anybody else? Yeah, do you find yourself, with, I suppose, especially when you work with creator own projects, are you working um, with that team right from the outset of the pitch? And are those sort of design decisions made in terms of, I guess when you've got an all-ages comic and you might be choosing to use like white gutters or full bleed art, is that all part of like, the sort of design process from the outset that you may be involved in? Or do you sometimes come in later on? Sometimes. Um, so I do have that there are a few bits and pieces I'm working on at the moment that are in pitch stage. Um, and they, you know, they really have got me in very early on, but the artwork is established. So things like the gutters and stuff like that, I would always leave that up to the artist um, on the creator own stuff. I think it's, you know, it really is up to them. Like even, you know, when we're working on, on Cry Havoc, I came in really early and I knew that what Cy wanted to do was work with the different, each different colorist had a different kind of border frame color. So you had the red, um, the red, the yellow, and the, and the blue that ran through and gave you each different timeline. That, that wasn't necessarily something that I had a hand in, but I knew they were doing that and I could try and work that into how I did the, the other pages throughout the comics. So it was really handy, like if, you know, with the creator and stuff, if you come in early on, you get to have a little bit of a say. Same with Savage Town, I mean, they kind of, they pretty much got the whole thing sorted out. But when it came to the, the pages at the back and how to put all the concept art in and how to get all their, their, their different, like the notes that Declan, the um, writer, who's also an artist, um, the, the stuff that he wanted to get in there, I do work directly with them. Um, and the logo is the, the thing that comes pretty much first before everything else. Um, although with the creator and stuff, you do have to get the, the covers done pretty early on. 
because of the, the way that solicitations work, the way that they kind of, you have to have the covers done way before the rest of the, 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 the um, comic is finished. So sometimes you end up taking from changing stuff. So I know that Tom, Tom Muller, he, um, he sometimes changes covers drastically between the, what goes in the previews stuff and what is sold into retailers as to what actually comes out on the shelf. I try not to do that because it can confuse retailers and people buying, but I don't think that's, I think that's, that's you know, little tweaks and stuff is, is, is fine. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's good to be part of that right from the beginning. Is there any examples where your design work has actually then influenced the, the story, the, the actual, the, the, the comic creation itself? You'd have to ask Cy in front of me. I don't think so. I don't think that's ever uh, been a case. Um, I, usually by that point, you know, by the point I've come in, the, the writer has established the world and, and um, had that written through. Maybe I'll have to uh, pick his brains and uh, try and work on something from scratch next time. Because uh, I think certainly with, say, like with Motherlands, I can see that the design work, like you say, it has that kind of like off-kilter 1970s, 80s C kind of vibe. That yes. actually then hit the story as well. That can really go into... Well, it was something actually, but now that you mention it, um, it was quite interesting because Rachel hadn't, uh, the artist on that, she hadn't had a lot of time um, to really establish what the interiors looked like. So we did have, a, like really early on, we did have a conversation about how the world could look. Um, because she hadn't established that, I felt, and again, we're, we're, we're fairly close as friends, I felt the, that it was okay to say to her, you know, how do we create this world? How, what style do we go? Do we, you know? So I think potentially, like that aspect of the retro nostalgia, did feed through into the artwork in a way that potentially, again, Cy, the writer, theme here, um, uh, Cy hadn't necessarily picked up on because although he, you know, the writer establishes the world um, and the broader aspects, they don't necessarily have that same idea of the finer details of style and aesthetic. So yeah, I, I guess with um, with Motherland, it is a good example of how that the design and the art can be a bit more close together. Um, Synergy. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Never say that word. <laughs> um, anybody else? No. Awesome. Oh wait, Rich. Yes. Um, are there any? Oh, thanks. Hey, are there any sort of um, rules or guidelines for? Um, how you sort of lay out the cover for a newsstand, like what's eye-catching, and can you reconcile that with a cover that also got to work online, or also got to do that kind of thing, Are there specific colours or logo placements or anything like that? Well, traditionally, you do tend to try and put the, uh, the logo at the top of the, of the cover, because that was, you know, if they were stacked, if they were stacked in front of each other, that was the bit that was always going to stick out the top. Um, but I, and I think um, it just so happens that a lot of the stuff I've worked on does end up with the, the logo being kind of at the top um, and in a consistent kind of place. Uh, Tom Muller in particular is someone that really pushes that out. I mean, versus this, this, this particular cover is not a good example of that, but a lot of the time he's put stuff kind of into, into the artwork and they've, they've, he's worked very closely with the artist to, to make it sort of overlap and as if it's part of the world itself. Um, and I think he, he manages to do that because it still stays legible, it's still recognisable. Um, but yes, it tends to be very, you know, sort of top-based because I think that's how, traditionally, how everyone's done it. So artists still, when they're, I think they're, when they're drawing, uh, they still have that, that 
image in their head and they, they, that's where the blank space goes. So uh, as much as I try and you know, move, it, move it around and do something a bit more interesting, sometimes, sometimes it's just clearer at the top. It just works better and it's easier to see. So why mess with things when, when they're really, they, they, they do what they're supposed to? Um, think that up. Does that, does that help? <laughs> Anybody else? And does anyone have a favourite comic cover in particular? No? Ever. Yeah, go Ever. on. Go on, Jeff. Yeah. Probably um, Nick Fury 6. Okay. I'm, I'm terrible at remembering individuals. I'm never going to remember an individual cover. <laughs> Um, what's it like? Okay, I think it's number six. It's the one where he's, he's got a backpack and he's got his gun and he's floating in space. And he's, it's a space one. It's just beautifully designed. It comes out of the page because he's coming towards you. Nice. It just sits so well and the colour palette is just sublime. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, anything by Steranko. I've got one. Yeah. I think it's Moon Knight 25. Oh, the Moon Knight covers were gorgeous. And it's, but it's main black in the middle you see Moon Knight sort of, sort of oh, going yeah. through, through, a, through a corridor and then behind him is the villain holding up a giant mace about to hit Moon Knight overhead. Were these? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, he does some, he does some beautiful, beautiful stuff. <laughs> I'm going to jump in on this. This, this is fun. Um, <laughs> if I'm going to choose two, I'm going to go suddenly. I like the Dark Empire covers uh, which uh, were done for uh, Dark Horse. Uh, yeah, Dave Dorman. Dorman. But because obviously, very consistent, you had um, the, the center image um, characters, and the, the, it was kind of like there was a consistency to the issues. But um, for myself, personal favorite covers is going to be Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, purely because I love the black Spider Man design anyway. I like the way that the eyes pop, the, the, the way that a really good artist took the challenge of doing an all black suit. But then, in the, on the covers, it was all kind of like dark and under the sewers. So it was almost kind of like there was stuff coming out of shadows and whatever. And I found when I was buying comics back when I was a kid and I bought that, and I just went, that's, that's grimy as hell. That's, <laughs> you can just feel that you're under a, it's a sewer. And, it's just, and, you, and then you had the, the big pops of the eyes and everything. But then you had the logo design really worked with it. And I thought, it was, I thought that, that was the first cover that I just really, really Mike, loved. Mike Zach. Hmm? Mike Zach. You never forget those comic, those covers that you absolutely love. Mm. Another designer I didn't even mention is David Aha. You know, designer artist, and his stuff is beautiful. And he worked, you know, the Hawkeye stuff that he did. Um, it's immediately clear. Oh, the, the, was it um, uh, Scarlet Scarlet Witch? Is that is that him? Uh, <laughs> no. No. Are you on about that cover? Oh. No, no, no. <laughs> um, he did a whole, whole bunch of stuff and a beautiful, like, really designed, but because he's an artist as well, I think he does something a bit more experimental with a lot of his covers, so he can kind of cover the whole range of, like, freehand with the design, like, the, the, the harsher design aspects. Um, yeah, I could just talk for ages about this stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, yes, the, I like the other reason why I wanted to ask about um, uh, the way that uh, other art, uh, other designers that you want to pull out is because I, I am a massive Tom Muller fan, but I, <laughs> I, I got into him uh, via Zero, and yes. his, that stuff is very experimental. Yeah. And just but he the, was scanning stuff in yeah, and then, like what, putting yeah. mold on it and then yeah. leaving it in a plastic bag for a week and then coming but, back to it. And even that, but I felt it because I, I, I don't know what the process of that book in terms of putting it together. But it felt like the design seeped into the story, it kind of came the other way. It felt like you were coming in mm. from a design aspect and then the comic 
was almost clear. It, it almost felt like he was coming in the other direction. So I think yeah. he, he and Alish Cobb, the writer, yeah. they work very closely together. And I think from really early concept, you know, Alex, Alish will um, bounce concepts off him quite early. I'm, I'm putting words in their mouth, so you probably yeah. might not want to take this, but you know, for a yeah, perfect example. But yes, they work, they work uh, together really early on in the process. So I'm sure that probably does feed into it to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, they, he does a great talk about design. In fact, he's doing one in Birmingham. You should go and see it. There you go. Another one actually I wanted to mention was uh, um, Taki's Onyx stuff on the, like, where is Jake Ellis? What is Jake Ellis? I don't know. Oh, I didn't that. know that, no. I need um, to write all this stuff down. This is great. It's basically, he just puts the, the whole of the text and the title over the cover and then the images underneath. I mean, it's a technique that's been used quite a lot of times, but he does it really, really well. And the art inside as well is just, it's, there's a designer's hand in there, you know, that's every cool. aspect of it. The panel design, storytelling, so, and he did something called uh, Black Beetle as well, yeah. which I think was with Image or Dark Horse. And just, I mean, the, the cover design, but every aspect of it, the palette, the, um, the fonts that he was using, I think they were, I think he, it looks like there's like handmade fonts, and I don't know if that's him or if that's the letterer or whatever, but it's, they're just beautiful looking books, they really are. It's really nice to hear that as well, that people, consumers and readers also do have an appreciation for this. I think in people some, notice in some it. Aspect. I think even if it's just sort of subconsciously, you know, oh, I like the look of that book, I'll buy it. You know, they might not be thinking about who's, who's designed it. Yeah. It's still having an influence on why they're buying the book. And it's clear that the, the, the stuff that does have that whole that whole package does does work better, I think, yeah. you know. I, mean, I think one of the earliest examples for me was um, Alex Tate, you know, the way he approached the design of things, you know, because no, you know, every line had a meaning, you know, every mark had a meaning, and I think he was the first comic artist that I, I ever thought of, this isn't just storytelling, this is design as well. That's cool. Um, I think even, even things like when you look at the preacher covers um, and the preacher books, whereas the books themselves are not necessarily the most beautifully designed things that you've ever seen, they still have that kind of consistency and they work with um, um, uh, the art. Um, Glenn Fabric. Glenn Fabric. Glenn's going to be at our um, Brighton event, by the way, in November, just if anyone wants to know. <laughs> Unlike Glenn forgetting his uh, airplane ticket at that one time. That was great. <laughs> anyway, yes, thank you so much for listening. Um, it's been exciting, and I really need to get all those various uh, design cover ideas from you guys. So I'd love to see that.